Hello, this is Dr. Eugene K. Choi, and you are listening to the Neurohacking Podcast. If you're a heart-driven leader, then this podcast will show you the proven science-based ways to tap into your unique superpowers. That way, you develop the skills to perform and feel at your best. And believe it or not, the only reason you get stuck and get uninspired and unmotivated is because your brain's been programmed to behave that way. And I started this podcast to show you how to rewire those parts of your brain that aren't serving you so that you can learn the skills to activate your highest levels of performance, get your energy back, and find the clarity you need right now on how to powerfully create that life that you alone were meant to live, all using science. You are listening to episode four, and we'll be talking about how to powerfully train your brain to find clarity, energy, and focus. By the time you're 35 years old, more or less, 90 to 95% of your brain becomes subconscious. So what does this mean? It means that you are on autopilot. So every single thing that you do for a majority of the time, now your brain is able to do it without thinking. So just like you're not going down the stairs every day thinking I need to put my left foot forward, my right foot forward, and you're not consciously thinking those thoughts, your body is able to do it without you telling it to do it. So here's the thing. It also applies to things like your belief systems, your perspectives. You believe things without thinking about it anymore because at some point your brain just adopted that belief as true. And now you're thinking thoughts, the same thoughts over and over again. You think 70,000 thoughts per day on average and 90 to 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts every single day. Think about that. You wake up in the morning. Now you're thinking, oh, I need to get up and brush my teeth. You get up and brush your teeth. I need to wash my face. I need to take a shower. I need to eat. I need to pee. All of these thoughts are happening on autopilot and we're making the same types of decisions every single day. And it's because of this programming that we are not able to create the change we're looking to create because now your brain and body are doing things without you telling it to because it got so good at doing that. It's kind of like that movie Groundhog's Day, where the main character is reliving the same day over and over again. What would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered? Now that sums it up for me. What if you've been programmed to feel the same way you feel every day as well? Maybe your normal is to feel stressed. Maybe your normal is to feel anxious. Maybe your normal is to feel depressed. And just like a computer can get programmed to do the same thing every day, what if your brain and body has also? And this is true. I'm gonna explain why it's true and what to do about it so that your brain stops working against you and it starts working for you. I want you to think about addictions for a moment. Your body can get chemically dependent on a drug. And just like it can get addicted to a drug, you can also get addicted to an emotion. Because if you really think about the biology behind it, emotions are chemicals too. Here's what I mean. If you had a brain scan to your head and you had a thought, you can actually see that there's electrical activity occurring in the brain when you have a thought. So when that electricity is being conducted in your 
brain cells, your nerve cells. What's happening is it's communicating from one cell to the other. And in order to do that, it has to release these chemicals. They're called neurotransmitters and neuropeptides. And what's happening is it's very rapidly traveling throughout your nervous system. And it's releasing these chemicals. It eventually communicates with one of your hormonal centers. And now it's releasing these chemicals. And now you're experiencing the feeling of the feeling. So just like when you're sitting down and doing nothing, for example, nothing around you is changing. And now you're thinking about something happy and now you feel happy. Or you're now you're thinking about something sad and now you feel sad. You literally have the ability to create the emotions just with your thought alone, even though nothing outside of you is changing. So just like your body can get chemically addicted to a drug, you do this pattern of thinking and feeling enough times, now your body becomes dependent and addicted to that emotion because it becomes its default state. It's what it's used to. Your body can get used to stress. Your body can get used to anxiety and it doesn't feel normal unless it does. So this is why when people self-sabotage, that's why it happens. It's If you're not feeling stress, your body doesn't feel normal. So it's trying to figure out ways to feel stress again, whether you're the type that makes things harder on yourself when it doesn't have to be as hard um, or you self-sabotage. So think about this. In the morning, you might wake up, let's say your body is used to stress. It's chemically dependent on stress. So you're waking up going, hey, this is a new day. I don't feel stress. Your body's feeling a little anxious because it's not feeling what it's used to feeling. And it's going to tell the brain, hey, quick, quick, do something to get me my fix. I need my fix. So you maybe you pick up your phone and look at all of the work you have to do today. And now you're stressed. While you're feeling stressed out, your body's going, oh my goodness, that feels so good. It became your normal. And the question becomes, what if we can create a new normal? What if we can change the default state so that you can experience more clarity, more joy, more gratitude? And that's what we want to go deep into. So first and foremost, we have to understand why does this programming happen? Your body and your brain is all about efficiency, right? It likes to go down the path of least resistance. It doesn't like to burn calories and spend a lot of energy. It wants to conserve energy. So that's why it creates things like habits. So therefore, it needs to create that efficiency. So first, we let's go over how this programming gets started. It starts when you're born, actually. So when you're born, you have 100 billion brain cells in that brain of yours, and only 20 billion connections between those brain cells. Now, between the age of zero to seven years old, your brain is rapidly recording information. And by the time you're seven years old, you still have those 100 billion brain cells, but now you have a quadrillion connections between those brain cells. So just to help you get a grasp of the number, that's 15 zeros in the number quadrillion. So what's happened between zero to seven years old? Your brain's rapidly recording information. And while it's recording factual information, such as this is the color white, this is the color black. What it's also starting to record very rapidly are meanings that you give to experiences. So imagine at the age of four years old, you get bit by a dog, so you attach a meaning to that experience you just had, that all dogs are dangerous. And what happens the moment you attach a meaning, your brain forms a bias. So there's something called your reticular activating system that tries to reinforce what that bias is. So in a nutshell, here's how the reticular activating system works. Think about this. Have you ever had a moment in your life, let's say you wanted a particular car 
And now that you want it, you wake up in the morning, you're going out for your drive, and now you're seeing that exact car everywhere on the road. It felt like they popped out of nowhere. It feels as if the universe is speaking to you that maybe it's meant to be. But from a brain perspective, because of the intention you had, now it's looking for that information. And the moment it sees it, it brings it to your attention. So it's not that there were more cars there, it's that they were always there and your brain was actually just filtering that information out. Because the job of the reticular activating system is to be able to find those patterns. It's to be able to find the things that you're looking for based on the bias or the intention that you're carrying. So here's the thing, it's, it's just based on what your intention is and it tries to bring that information to you. So this can either work for you or against you. This is why when you're in a loud party, for example, and you're able to focus on the conversation with your friend, it's because your brain is actually filtering out the noise around you. And if you're able to stay focused on what I'm saying right now, even though I added that background noise, it's so cool what your brain's capable of, isn't it? Or if you've ever had this experience where maybe you're at a busy marketplace or a restaurant and you overhear two or three words that's said in the room and that catches your attention, you start a conversation with that person and that leads to a great opportunity or a great friendship, you have to think, what made your brain pay attention to those three words out of the hundreds of thousands of words being spoken in the room? And the reason why your brain needs to filter out information is because if you paid attention to every single piece of information out there, you wouldn't be able to pay attention to anything. You would have major, major ADD. You can't focus all of the sounds, the smells, the sights. So it's, it's a way of helping your brain filter out unrelated information in the moment based on what you're trying to pay attention to so that you can focus on the thing that you want to focus on. And get this. More than 85% of information is being filtered out actively right now at any given moment. So now you have this reticular activating system. You form a meaning based on an experience you had in your life. And now your brain's trying to reinforce that meaning by filtering out unrelated information and only focusing on the information based on the intention or the perspective or the belief that you formed. Maybe... You grew up watching your parents struggle in their relationship and they broke up. So maybe the meaning you attach to that is that all relationships must be really hard. So what does your brain do throughout your life? It only looks for that type of information. You watch another breakup happen with somebody in your life and you're telling yourself, see, this is why relationships are hard. Maybe you watched your parents struggle with money. So you form a belief that money is really hard to make. So now your brain is scanning all the information in your life to only show you information that reinforces that perspective. But here's the thing, remember? Your brain is filtering out more than 85% of information at any given time. And what if in that information that's being filtered out was the solution you were looking for or the opportunity that you wanted? It creates these blind spots in your brain and now a reality is created for you based on these perspectives you've been carrying and that filtering system that you have in your brainstem is only showing you information that reinforces the belief and the perspective and the thinking. And now you're living in this thing called reality. And remember, your brain gets so easily fooled into what it thinks is real. This is why when you're in a dream, you think it's real when you're in it. 
it's kind of like that classic movie, The Truman Show, where the main character's life is totally staged and produced, and he's being secretly filmed for his life to be broadcasted on live television, and he has no idea. Everything just feels like reality for him. Now, in its 30th great year, it's The Truman Show! think that uh, Truman has never come close to discovering the true nature of his world until now. We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented, with which we're presented, with which we're presented. So it starts with this question first, because if your brain got programmed in a way where it's keeping you stuck, and now you're constantly in a fight, flight, freeze response, at an autopilot level, or your brain and body is constantly doing it without you telling it to do it, and it just does it automatically. It doesn't matter how much willpower you use, the programming will always win. So then the question becomes, how can we start reprogramming the programming? So let's go into that. One of the first things I always, always start with to prep yourself to be able to reprogram is to be willing to be wrong about what you think is true. Because if you're not willing to be wrong, remember your brain's bias is only going to try to focus on those reasons to reinforce the false reality you might be living in. So once you're willing to be wrong, the second thing that you have to have to do is to be in a place where you're willing to take full ownership. Take back ownership of every single one of your thoughts and your feelings. Here's what I mean by this. When my daughter was three years old, I used to say this phrase to her quite a bit whenever she wouldn't listen to me. I would tell her, you're making me so mad. And now that I've studied the brain more and more over the years, I, re I sat there and I had to keep myself in check. So I was reflecting a little bit. I was thinking to myself, what meaning might a three-year-old girl give to the words that I just said? Well, first, I'm telling her she's making me mad. In her mind, now it exists. It might feel true to her that she can be the cause of my emotions, which is totally untrue. We can never be the cause of anyone's emotions, and I'm about to prove why this is true. And the second thing that might happen in my daughter's mind is, whoa, daddy's very mad, and when daddy's mad, it feels really scary. So she may develop this fear of quote-unquote making people mad because she feels like when people are mad, she's not loved. So I'm sitting there going, wow, how might this impact her as an adult? This fear of quote unquote, making people mad. What if she has a really unethical boss that's overworking her to the bone and demanding more and more of her, even though it's not fair, she might give in because she's afraid of making the boss mad, even though it means sacrificing her mental health and probably her physical health too. What really got me was this thought of, wait, what happens if she is in a relationship one day, maybe with some boy, how might this impact her life? This false reality that's been created in her brain. What if she has that partner that's trying to pressure her to sleep with him when she doesn't want to? And because she's afraid of making the partner mad, she'll give in as a survival tactic, because people-pleasing is a survival tactic, by the way. And she won't set her boundaries. And that really got me off my butt 
to run up to her, give her the biggest hug ever, and apologize, saying that, baby girl, you can never make daddy mad. The only reason daddy is mad is because he has his own meaning that he's attaching to what's happening. It's because he's afraid, he's scared, and he doesn't know how to deal with it in the moment except to get angry. And it's not her fault. And I try to show her how to set boundaries. If daddy ever yells at you or mommy ever yells at you, you have every right to request that we please stop yelling. And the moment of ownership is when I change the language from you're making me mad to I'm feeling mad. And the reason why this is true, that you are never the cause of anyone else's relationship, is because there's your own meaning being attached to the experience. In that example, for me, the meaning I was attaching to the experience of my daughter not listening to me was that I'm a bad dad. And I'm very sensitive about this because my father left behind our family when I was a teenager. And I held a lot of resentment because I felt a lot of responsibility was put on me and forced upon me when I didn't want it as a little kid. And I used to think really angry and resentful thoughts, like if I'm ever a dad, I'm never going to be a bad dad like him. So what's my brain doing the moment my daughter's not listening? It's attaching a meaning to the experience. Hey, you're being a bad dad right now, just like you're that. This is why your daughter's not listening to you. So I go into fight, fly, freeze mode. In this case, it's fight, and I get angry. Which, by the way, anger is always just a reflection of fear. When people get angry, it's because they're afraid. Think about those lions or tigers that are guarding their cubs when you approach the children. They bare their teeth and they growl at you. They're using anger as a protection mechanism because they're afraid that you're going to hurt them and the things that they care about in some way. So are you willing to take full ownership of everything you're feeling and everything you're thinking? Because you have your own meaning you're attaching to the experience. This is why I'm able to share that story about my daughter with leaders now when they share something with me like, my team is pissing me off right now. And I share that story and I ask, is it the team that's pissing you off? And they're able to take ownership and acknowledge, no, I have a role that I'm playing in this anger. I am the cause of it because there's a meaning being attached to it. So that's the first thing that you have to examine and become really aware of the moment you take ownership. You want to be able to see what meaning am I attaching to the experience? And this is a muscle that you can flex. You bring your attention to it more and more, you get better at it. The reason why this is really hard in the beginning is because you fall under the illusion that the thing happening outside of you is causing the emotion inside of you. Think about this. If you're ever in a dark forest and you hear a scary noise, like an animal growling, your brain's focus will be on external information. It goes into this state of survival because it feels like it's under threat. So it has to look at your outside environment to try to protect you. So now remember, your brain also perceives these emotions that feel uncomfortable as a threat as well. So it'll go into the exact same survival state. And your brain pays attention to external information only and not pay attention to your inner world your internal information. So that's why it becomes this illusion that, oh, this experience happening outside of me is the cause of the feeling inside of me because your brain's so focused on the outside. So that's why we experience that experience of, oh, this thing that person said to me is the reason I'm feeling anxious or mad, or this thing that person did to me is why I'm feeling this way. And we're not acknowledging the inner meanings given to it as well. 
Oh, this person said this about me and it's making me feel mad because my fear is that I'm not good enough or not capable or not smart enough. And that's the thing that we have to make sure we get better at because this is the only way that you can start the initiation process of reprogramming that faulty programming that's keeping you stuck in that survival state and preventing you from activating your highest levels of performance, clarity, energy, and focus. So that's the first thing. Start to examine the meaning you might be giving things. If you attach your self-worth to your accomplishments, for example, what meaning are you giving to your accomplishments? Maybe you view your accomplishments as a reflection of how valuable you are, but why do you give it that meaning? Because beneath that, you might actually believe you have no value unless you accomplish more, which is also a reflection of your relationship with yourself and how much you value yourself. You might view yourself as a loser unless you accomplish things, which isn't true. I don't think any loving parent would ever try to instill that reality in our kids. And unfortunately, a lot of times we inadvertently do it. So this is why it's really important to become very aware of the meanings we give to things. And the moment you become very clear on what meanings you are giving your experiences, now you have the ability and the space and the awareness to start actually reprogramming yourself out of that false reality you're becoming aware that you're stuck in. So how do we do this? So just like you can physically train at the gym to get your body, you want to be able to start training your brain to get mentally stronger. And the way I do this is through a process called neurohacking. And it's a combination of training and coaching and utilizing technology that can actually measure what state you're in. So once you become aware of these things you may have never been aware of, because that's usually the first problem to begin with. If you were aware of what was actually causing the problem, then you'd be on your way to getting the clarity on how to solve it. Most people stay stuck in what they think the problem is because what they think the problem is actually not the problem. So this is where once you become aware, now you're ready to start training. If you're interested in learning about an opportunity on how you can receive training for free, I'll share about it in just a bit. You know, I bring people through this exact training. These are entrepreneurs, these are leaders, sometimes it's political leaders, and I have watched it produce some phenomenal results because this is the thing that helps people actually create change because at the end of the day, our results won't change unless we change. So that's what I will leave you with today is to take a look at whatever thinking patterns you have, whatever behaviors you have, and look more deeply into why you do that. What meaning are you giving the experiences in your life? And are you willing to sit with that and explore why it may be untrue? Because the moment you do that, the problem no longer becomes the problem. And one of the most easiest things you can do to start rewiring your brain is something called novelty which is just a fancy way of saying new experiences. There's plenty of research that shows novelty can help your brain rewire. It's something called neuroplasticity. So whether you travel or make a tiny change, whether it's working from a new location, if you work remotely, trying to drive down a different road when you're going home, it stimulates your brain 
to rewire. And your environment is the easiest thing you can design to start promoting neuroplasticity. So for example, if you don't want to be browsing your phone at night anymore before you go to bed, you might put your phone in the living room and charge it there so that when you're in bed, it makes it harder for you to reach your phone. And that can change the behavior as well. There's a lot of behavioral science research around this. So your environment is extremely important. And that's one of the things you want to think about. Is your environment helping you grow? Is your environment helping you change? So why is it so powerful to utilize your environment and design your environment in different ways to help promote change? Let me share a story about a monkey to help explain why. Back in 1992, in a small lab in Italy, there was a researcher studying a monkey. They had a brain scan tied to the monkey's head, and they would see which part of the monkey's brain lit up whenever it did different things. So one of these actions that the monkey took was to eat a peanut, and they would record which part of the brain lit up when the monkey ate the peanut. Now, the researcher was going on break, and he got a little hungry, so he dipped his hand in the bowl of peanuts and ate one of those peanuts. What was fascinating was that the moment the researcher ate that peanut, the monkey's brain lit up. And it was that same part of the brain as if the monkey was eating the peanut itself. So this was the discovery of something called mirror neurons. So just to give an example of how this works, it's your brain's ability to be able to experience what someone else is experiencing, be able to feel what someone else is feeling. This is why if you see someone get really hurt, you wince in pain and you're like, ooh, it's your mirror neurons activating. It's also why you're able to sense someone else's survival state and now you're feeling afraid as well when somebody else is panicking. So the reason I bring up mirror neurons is think about the people you have around you as well. There's a famous personal development guru, Jim Rohn, that says you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And this is why it's true. Think about this. If you start living in a certain town that has a certain accent, at some point you're going to start mirroring that accent too and talking like them, aren't you? It's a very tribal response for survival reasons to fit in, to try and belong to that community. So if you are surrounded by people that are complaining a lot or in survival a lot, chances are your brain's getting programmed to be in survival as well. So this is why the people in your life are very important. And this is something to think about. Who do you want to become? Because your mirror neurons are going to be paying attention to the people you surround yourself most with. So I'm really excited because one of the things I have launched is a community of people who are committed to being able to activate their executive state on a more daily basis so that we can create a community that is committed to creating that safe space for themselves and each other so that we can activate some of the most amazing capabilities that we have when we're in our executive state. So this community that I've built is called Neurohacking School. We meet twice a month on live group calls to be able to answer any questions you have and workshop with you as you develop this skill of rewiring your brain for better performance and more clarity, being able to focus more and perform better. And what you'll also get 
is my recorded trainings where you go deeper into the science and learn all the things that you need to learn to be able to develop this skill for you. And I'll also be giving private workshops that are pop-up uh, once in a while to only the members. And I'd love for you to consider being a part of our community so that I can see you there and hopefully get to know you better. And one of the opportunities that I'm giving here is if you want to try out the first month for free, all you need to do is sign up at neurohackingschool.com and enter the promo code DESTINY, D-E-S-T-I-N-Y, and your first month is on the house. So with that said, over the next episodes, I'm going to start bringing some of the people in my life that I have been inspired by and mentored by, where they share their insights on how they've achieved success in their life. And these are some pretty amazing stories, and I want to share them with you. And what I'll do as the host is also highlight to you what I noticed about each of these people that contributes to the amazing success that they had from a brain performance perspective. So stay tuned. If you want to connect with me, you can always reach out to me uh, at info at destinyhacks.co or you can sign up uh, for a free training on my homepage at destinyhacks.co. If you want to interact with me on social media, I am currently on Instagram at Eugene K. Choi, where you can follow me there as I start putting more content out. All right. Looking forward to sharing more insights with you. See you on the next episode.